0: Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hey, y'all, it's Bridget here. I had the honor and pleasure of chatting with Jen Cassetta. Jen is a nationally recognized speaker, empowerment coach, self-defense expert, and author of a new book, The Art of Badassery unleash your mojo with wisdom of the dojo. Her clients include Apple, American Airlines, British Airway, Nike, and so many more. Jen has rocked hundreds of stages across the country with her superpower combination of engaging content and contagious enthusiasm. She's been featured on the Today Show, Rachel Ray, and even was an expert on ABC's TV's My Diet is Better Than Yours. So sit back, relax, grab yourself your favorite cocktail and enjoy this very bold and empowering show. Dan, welcome to Served Up. I'm really excited to have you on the show today.
1: Thank you, Bridget. Excited to be here.
0: Yeah. Can you tell our listeners really where you got your start and what inspired you to get into nutrition, and truly the philosophy
1: of inspiring others? Oof, that is a, quite the question. So I'll, I'm going to back it up. About 23 years ago, I stepped into a dojo, which is a martial arts studio for anyone out there who doesn't know, uh, for the first time back in New York City. And I pretty much immediately fell in love. Now, even the backstory from that is my dad had been a martial arts martial artist for years before that. So it wasn't something completely out of the blue. Um, but the minute that I tried it in my early 20s, I w- I was just really like taken by this. Um, you know, I was originally going just to do exercise, but wound up getting so much more in that first year. Um, I had some major life um, issues, which kind of everyone in New York City and beyond that day did. But, um, but essentially, I had this, this massive transformation in my life. And it started, I would say, because of um, September 11th, heading to work in the city that day. I was an event planner at the time. Didn't even get to plan any events yet. Um, showed up to my place of work, got out of the subway, essentially at Wall Street, looked up, and the World Trade Center was already hit and black smoke was coming out. I made it to my place of work. The doorman wouldn't let me upstairs. And suddenly I went in to use the, the phone in the lobby and suddenly the first tower fell. A swarm of people come rushing into the lobby. Phone goes flying out of my hands. I'm completely frozen and paralyzed with fear. Thought I was going to die. And this woman came over to me and this she put her hands on my shoulders. Asked me my name, I told her. And she said, Jennifer, I'm Nancy. And the two of us are going to get out of here today. Uh, Nancy and I together left that building. We were all evacuated and ran in what everyone can can visualize if you were there or not, or saw it on TV, you know, through the ashes, through the soot, from building to building, looking for a safe place, until finally I had the idea to take Nancy to the dojo, the martial arts school I'd been training at. And for I just remember walking in covered in ash. And for the first time that day, having this sense of safety, like, you know, everything just like decompressing and drinking water and washing my, the soot off my body and all of that. And anyway, Nancy took off, went to her family and for the weeks and months that followed now, looking back, I realized that because of that day, because of that safe place, I dove even deeper. And now all of a sudden it wasn't just a place where I went to exercise. It was this place where my body was getting stronger, yes, but also my mind and confidence was starting to enhance. I was working out some serious PTSD um, from that time on the mat. Um, and as you can imagine, I mean, just from there, it started. You know, I was out of a job. So I was figuring, well, what can I do in the meantime? I was actually bartending at night. My brother owned a nightclub in the city at the time. And so I was like, Getting paid that cash money really well. (laughs) And all I wanted to do in the daytime was go to the dojo. So I figured, after a while, how can I make this some sort of income, career, et cetera? And that's how it all started. Long answer.
0: No, it's such an incredible start um, to what you do now. And I I would love to hear more, you know? So take me back to Mm. the dojo. And how did that turn into um, your current career? How really, you know, what was next?
1: Yeah. So essentially for a 10 year period from, from 2001 uh, to the end of 2009, I started to build out these different practices. So I became a personal trainer because at that time, again, I was like, well, what can I do? Well, I can teach kickboxing or, you know, kind of martial arts, but at a gym. So I went to this boutique gym in the West village and they were like, great, become a personal trainer. I said, sure. (laughs) There was no real plan. I just kept saying yes to the next opportunity. Then eventually I said, okay, well I have now I'm have a private practice essentially in lower Manhattan. And I was training clients in their homes, um, very wealthy clients and kind of getting, you know, getting to see how some New Yorkers live, right. It's very different than the apartment in Chinatown that I was living in at the time. So it was inspiring. It was cool. And, but then I realized I wanted to add more skills and tools to my tool belt. So I went back to um, get a a certification in health coaching first at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and kind of then tied that into my, my offerings. And then later, at the time at 2005 when i became a health coach no one really knew what a health coach was so i decided i needed to go back to school to get a, a masters in nutrition so that all happened pretty much in a 10 year period where also every single day that i could i was running back to the dojo as many times as possible either to train clients teach classes train myself take classes i mean i was like literally obsessed to the point where friends and family would joke that i was like in a cult
0: Oh my gosh. Well, you know, one of the hats that you wear is an empowerment coach. What is that exactly? And how did you become one?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, So, again, that was a 10 year period. Then, at uh, 2009, I moved out to Los Angeles with this vision of essentially having a bigger impact on folks. So, instead of the one to one training, how can I reach one to many? And I should also reverse or rewind in that 10 year period, I was going, I was doing all of these self-development workshops and devouring books on the subject. Um, You know, I went to Tony Robbins and all these different things that I can really consume. And I was, again, from my father, really, he, he was doing that back in the seventies and eighties and reading Dale Carnegie and all these, all these books that, you know, now are the foundation of that movement. And essentially I had that vision, like, how can I do a smidgen of that? How can I have even a small percentage of the impact like of someone like Tony Robbins? So the vision was to do public speaking, get out there, really spread the word. And it took me a few years from when I landed in LA to kind of getting my feet under me, having some income, still personal training, health coaching, et cetera. I took a little detour because I was training in places like you know, the, the peninsula on Beverly Hills and things like that. And a couple of clients asked me to travel with them. So I wound up traveling around the world with, um, a, a Saudi client for about a year and a half. So these things, again, it's that saying yes to the opportunities that sounded really phenomenal at the time, no real plan, but these visions that kept pulling me forward, essentially to become an empowerment coach, um, I just did more kinds of certifications. I have now a, a certification in NLP, which is neuro-linguistic programming. Um, and just all the self-taught coaching tips and self-development work that I've done over the years. Now I would rather call myself an empowerment coach than a health coach. Um, just because I don't, I don't want to talk about food really anymore. I want to talk about food as one part of your whole well-being, right? food, nutrition, movement, exercise, mental health. There's so much more that, that makes us whole and can give us power and happiness and joy. And uh, yeah, I just didn't want to focus just on the physical anymore. I, I love
0: that. And I'm really glad that you are out there doing the work. You know, you mentioned mental health and, you know, there is still a stigma attached to that term. Mental health. And I think that we've come um, a longer way than maybe before COVID. And I think folks are being much more open to seeking help and maybe even realizing that, oh, this is a real thing. And Mm -hmm. I need to maybe talk to someone. And um, I'd like to talk to you a little bit more specifically about that topic. It's very relevant in the beverage industry, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, an industry that was always seen. As being super toxic, and a lot came out during COVID, and a lot of changes were made after COVID for the better, and we continue to strive, you know, within our industry to be better to one another. Mm, good, to, um, take more grace for ourselves, and so you know, as an expert in empowerment and in mental health, do you have some go-to tips? That you can get. Absolutely.
1: And just so you, and just to kind of talk on that subject, just mental health in general, why it's a stigma. Like, I feel like people hear that word and it's like, oh, it's a stigma. It's just like physical health. We all have mental health. We all have physical health. And it's just an umbrella term to describe our mental, our mindset, our mental well being. Like, it shouldn't be anything we should shy away from speaking about. I just, sometimes even watching the news, I hear just it thrown around in a way where it's always, when we talk about our mental health, it's always like a problem or disorder. Well, it's just like we have times where, you know, everyone has mental health issues from time to time. Everyone feels joy and happiness from time to time. Everyone feels sad and depressed from time to time. Everyone can feel anxious from time to time. It's only when the when those feelings become overwhelming or we don't have the tools to deal with them is when it really becomes an issue, right?
0: Yeah, you're you're 100% right. And so let's um talk a bit about your book. Sure. That, you know, that perhaps could be a great resource for the listeners, The Art of Badassery, which I love that title. It's Thank you. Unleash Your Mojo with Wisdom of the Dojo. So how did your book come to life? What was that process like for you?
1: Yeah. So The Art of Badassery started as a keynote about six or seven years ago that I first gave actually at a Bacardi um, event. They did a She Summit, they called it at at first, and then they moved on. But um, uh, I just, I'll never forget the, the head person there at the time, the general counsel reached out and she saw online the badassery term and she was like, that's what we want. And I was like, great. So that was my first really big keynote, I would say I would I had it developed before that. But um, and so so I've been doing that for years and I always wanted to write a book, but it wasn't until January of 2020 that I decided this is the year I am going to sit my butt down in the chair and actually write it. Um, And of course, what happened in March was our lockdown. So. It actually wound up being great timing because all of a sudden all my events were canceled for the foreseeable future. And I had a lot more time on my hand to sit and write. Um, but what, what wound up happening in the writing was really magical. Um, I figured out, you know, the art of badassery before that was just like these five steps of, you know, self-empowerment. But all of a sudden I realized that I wanted to use the martial arts as a metaphor. So Each chapter is like color coded from white belt to black belt, just like a martial artist moves through the journey um, to black belt. So in that, I mean, every belt level has its own theme and different exercises, but it's all related to essentially self-empowerment. It's all relatable. It's not about martial arts per se but you get to feel what it's like out on the mat, the lessons that I learned from, you know, the ancient wisdom of martial arts and then how I adapt that for everyday life today. Yeah, that's incredible. That's absolutely
0: incredible. It sounds like a book that we all need to have in our back pocket for sure.
1: I would you know? say so. I, I would hope so. Um, but back to your, you did ask kind of help, tips for mental health. And I will say that the book, Really addresses that. It's, it really has nothing to do with self defense or the physical aspect of martial arts. White belt, the first chapter is really about embracing the suck. That's what it's called. So knowing that everyone in life goes through challenges, dramas, traumas, tragedies. Uh, I truly believe that no one gets to this life without dealing with something at some point in their life. And now I feel like collectively we've all gone through something pretty traumatic for a lot of people um, over the last three years. So for many of us, that might have been the first big disappointment challenge. But for many of us, it wasn't, right? It was kind of like, okay, here comes a tough thing again. We got to get through this. So embracing the suck is really just accepting the fact that there are going to be hard times. And I feel like when we can do that, right, we can move through those times with a little more resilience.
0: That's a really good word too, resilience, you know, mm-hmm. how to maybe kind of, you know, push through those hard times. I, I really, I think that's really, really interesting. And I know that you are a black belt, correct?
1: Yes. In a martial art called Hapkido. I got that before I moved to LA and back in 2009, and it was a whole lot of work.
0: <laughs> how did you find up, you know, it's, I think it's really interesting how you broke your book out. You know, really, it sounds like based on what you've learned in the dojo,- mm-hmm. which is wonderful. And then when you dive into that ancient art the the ancient art, right of movement and mm-hmm. defense sometimes as well, mm-hmm. can you share um, more of those lessons that you learned, and maybe some of the surprises that you yeah. didn't realize that you would be learning in the dojo?
1: Yeah, I love that. Two things come to mind, so first. The third chapter is called block, block the BS, block the bullshit, right? So at that level in martial arts, we started to really drill our blocking techniques. And because we realized that all these punches and kicks are coming at us. And if we don't block them, we're going to spend way more time hurt and on the floor than necessary. So in life, this translates to setting boundaries with people, with people, places and things that are just coming at us, whether that be misogyny, um, racism, uh, any type of person trying to manipulate you, take advantage of you, take advantage of you, your body, your mind, your kindness, your generosity, your resources, any of it, right? We need to set these boundaries. And sometimes it could be physical, but most of the time it's going to be mental, emotional, and verbal blocks that we need to practice. And the more we practice them, the easier it becomes to really protect our peace and our power. So I have people kind of visualize this energetic orb around you, like a bubble that surrounds you. And that is your energy. You need to protect that. And honestly, the harsh truth is it's no one else's job to protect that for you. And I feel like sometimes we feel like, well, there's supposed to be these things in society that protect us and there should be, and there you know, sometimes are, but at the end of the day, right, it is nobody else's job but ourselves to protect our boundaries. So um, in the chapter, in the keynotes that I do in deeper dives in this subject, like workshops alone on boundary setting that I have, I really get people present to connecting your mind and your body. I just feel like when you are physically in your body, you need to say, you know, need to say no or anything, right? To protect yourself. You just have this, this tool, this really cool tool to emphasize, to make it even more powerful. So tapping into the strength of your own body when you set boundaries can really be helpful. So whether that means you have to power pose before you go into that meeting and tell somebody, you know, like back off or no, you're not going to take my cell phone number. Or you're not going to text me on the weekends or you're you're getting too close or too weird or whatever it is, Um, you know, feel strong in your body. And I feel like especially this is a great lesson for women. And I I always hate to break it down, you know, have it really gendered. But for the most part, it is we weren't always taught to use our body in strong ways. You
0: really just hit on something. But yeah, no, we weren't. I wasn't taught to use my voice or be assertive. You know, that came along just, from the school of hard knocks, really, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yep. mm-hmm. you know, if we can help that next generation to be a little more bold mm-hmm. in their daily life and set those boundaries. I think the world would actually be more harmonious than it is
1: now. Oh, completely. Cause setting your boundaries doesn't have to always be combative. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we think of at first, but setting your boundaries. Um, I love how El- um, Elizabeth Gilbert, the author of Eat, Pray, Love, she said it one time, and I'm just going to paraphrase, but she said, setting boundaries is like drawing a golden circle around the things that are important to you. And everything inside that circle is sacred. So it's like protecting your sacred things, whether that be, like I said, your time, your resources, your kindness, your generosity, those are important things. So drawing that circle can be non-combative as well
0: as it really should be, right? It really yeah. should be. And and I do think that it's something, you know, you, and you mentioned that, you know, as women, that we do have to work a little bit harder on.
1: Some of us, for sure, for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I think so, yeah. And, you know, as we're on this topic, it is Women's History Month. Mm-hmm. And I would love to know, you know, through history, do you have any women that you really admire
1: or consider heroes? Oh, gosh, yes. Like the first people, I know it's always cliche, but I, I'm like a huge Oprah fan. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think she just, she broke boundaries. She broke glass ceilings, um, not only for women, but for her black women, especially. Um, so she, you know, and just what she does and what she stands for. I'm a huge fan. So many women in history that have, again, like been the first to, fight for us, fight for our rights. And there's, there's probably so many women that just didn't make the headlines, but we're out there on the front lines doing that work.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you. Absolutely.
1: What are like, what are women that come to your mind when you, when you ask that question?
0: It's funny. Um, I think of like Amelia Earhart is definitely like somebody that I admire. I think that she really had some guts to be the first woman to get herself in an airplane and travel And do her thing. And and she's absolutely inspiring. She's one of my absolute favorites. But like you said, there's so many. And then even think like my mother, you know, who worked for Argonne National Laboratory and burned her bra when she was pregnant with me because she got fired because she was pregnant with me. Oh, wow. (laughs) I throw you a baby shower and throw you a bra-burning party. And they did. So, you know, Mm. when I look, I can look in my family and then. You know, in history as well. But I think right. it's an important topic that we continue to talk about, you know, not just this
1: month, but all year round. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I do my best to also, anyone that I know, a woman that I know kind of personally or one off, I try to buy their book. And, you know, so I have a stack of books of people that I know that have authored books, and I wanna make sure that I promote them throughout this month as, um, as women authors as well.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. Mm. Uh, can you tell our listeners what that moment was like for you
1: when you achieved black belt? Mm. I can just like picture it. So, so it's a long process. There's not necessarily a moment. I mean, there's a moment when I was handed the belt. So I'll go through that. But essentially, at red belt level, which is for for our school right before black belt, there's about a year or so. Again, depends on where you where you are and where you started and all of that. But at least in my school, for me, it was about a year of training for black belt. So to test for black belt, you have to volunteer at least a hundred hours of teaching hours, not in that year, but throughout your whole journey. Right. Um, because the deal with black belt is what I soon realized. I used to think it was about taking someone down twice my size or you know, executing my sword forms with precision. But really at the end of the day, Black Belt, and I say it in the book, is all about leadership. It's about being a leader in the dojo, a teacher, a mentor, someone that helps lift others up through the ranks too. Again, that's the metaphor for the book and the keynote. And when I go and talk to organizations, right, this is what I want to remind everyone. Like Black Belt, when you're at the top, that is when you... Become the mentor, the coach. You're helping people. You're not just barking orders. You're not just, you know, thinking you're the shit because you have this title now. It's, it's your time to really step into that leadership role. Anyway, so we did that for a year, like preparing for the test. And then the, we had two, there's really two tests at my school. Again, this is not common at every school, World Martial Arts Center in, in, they're now in Brooklyn. So the first test was like this pre test. And it started at 3 a.m. in the morning. You go to the dojo. You're like groggy, You barely sleep. There's drumming. No one's talking to each other. It's like this fight club kind of thing. No one talks about fight club because no one tells you like the black, black belts that come before you. No one tells you what goes on in those tests, right? So anyway, to make a long story short, the test lasted about seven or eight hours. And you're just like completely spent. I remember the sun coming out. I'm like, what is going on? completely spent on a physical mental spiritual all of it you're you're done and then you have to wait kind of weeks or whatever and then we have another test which is more of like a demonstration and you invite folks etc before you get your belt at the end of that I bet you weren't expecting this whole long. lot
0: <laughs> I'm loving this because I know nothing about martial arts and I don't oh. you know I don't know what our listeners know so I think this is fascinating. Keep going.
1: <laughs> yeah. So before, you know, we do all our forms or all our um, sparring, all the things, and then it culminates with a fire break. So all pieces of wood are set up on cinder blocks and we all line up and then someone lights the fire, lights all the boards on fire. And then, you know, again, I can't remember exactly, but I, I would assume our Master is what we call them in martial arts. I know it's weird. Um, you know, gives us a countdown and one, two, three, we all have to break through the fire wood together. And then that is the celebration. And I would say that the metaphor there is obviously, you know, that you are more powerful than you can ever imagine. You are stronger than you know. You your mind can do things that you never thought you could. Um, if you really, you know, just go for it. So then ceremoniously, we're all handed our black belts and it's like, so how did I feel? I felt really fucking great. (laughs) Yes, sister. Yeah. Powerful. Really? Like, like I can take on anything.
0: And you have, and it sounds like you continue to as well. Oh my God. Your story is so incredibly interesting <laughs> and I'm so glad that you've shared with our listeners what that is like, because I sure as hell have never been in a dojo. It sounds like I need to go to one
1: church. It was like my church for many years. Um, I miss it. I moved across the country and I just never found the right community out here in L.A. Um, and now I'll, also I got a hip replacement. So that doesn't help. But I still practice my, my forms. I still teach self-defense, obviously, um, for Southern Glazers and for lots of other companies that I've worked with and had the pleasure of, of working with.
0: I would like to talk with you a bit about your when you teach self-defense, because mm-hmm. I think it's amazing, first of all, that Southern Glazers brought you on to teach. And, but also, I think as somebody, as an attendee, it can be very intimidating to maybe sign up yeah. for a self-defense class. Yep. Thinking, like, I don't need that, or what is that all about, or I'm not going to be good at that. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a bit about being on both sides? So, mm-hmm. as an attendee, how to overcome that and why it's important, and what it's like for you as a teacher to empower people
1: to defend themselves? Ah, oh, all great questions. So, where do I begin? I totally understand how people can feel intimidated, right? By going to these classes or checking it out. So that is why I basically developed a one-off self-defense course, right? So I took my 10 years on the mat training and said, what can I teach in an hour that would be the most effective? What can I teach in an hour that people can leave with and say, oh, oh, I can do that. That's easy enough. I have like one or two or three tools in my tool belt a couple of um, sound bites that they remember, like eyes, throat, groin, or something like that, right? Again, it's the obvious thing is like, the more you practice anything, the more readily available it will be to you, you know, if you ever need it. But in this case, I feel just even, even just a one-time self-defense class, even just learning the basics, it's not just about the physical, it's really about the mental benefits that people get from it. So maybe it's just the reminder because the first half of it, I usually just talk about the mental aspects of self-defense, practicing situational awareness, being more aware when you're out and about, when you're on the subway platform, where do you situate yourself where you can see people coming down the stairs as well as making sure you're not too close to the tracks, right? They're just certain little things about how you move through the world that can help you stay more safe, more aware, more alert, right? Then. The usual, the easy, the the thing that we see the most, which is someone buried in their cell phone, in their to-do list, on social media, not paying attention to their surroundings, which I get it. Like I, I catch myself doing it too. So again, if someone just leaves with that reminder to put their phone away, to take in information with their eyes, with their ears and listen to their intuition, oh my God, that right there can save their life. You don't even have to get to the punches and the strikes and the getting out of the chokes and the holds to really stay safer in this world.
0: That's some really good advice. I'm going to make my daughter listen to the show. She's in college.
1: (laughs) Oh, good. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Her listen to it. That's great advice for anyone, right? To really be aware of your surroundings.
1: For anyone, no matter what you do. After the situational awareness, we talk about setting boundaries again but this time more in a physical sense. If someone is encroaching on your personal space and they're not meant to be there, it's not like rush hour on the subway, but it's like you're walking down the street and someone's too close to you. Okay, now you have choices. What are those choices? Can you create distance crossing the street? Can you, get, can you use objects in your favor? So getting in a car and locking the door or um, barricading yourself in a bathroom or somewhere safe. These are things that we can just think about. It's really spatial awareness now, your body in different spaces. Then we come to, and this is all ABC, awareness boundaries. C is communicating. How do we powerfully communicate that we're confident, alert, aware, you know, or set a powerful boundary? So we do that with our body language, strong, fierce body language. We do that with a deep tone in our voice. We do that with the words that we choose to use. Right. Both outwardly and also our inner dot dialogue, which is something that I get into more in the book, right? A lot, which is like using strong affirmations and telling yourself, you got this. You're safe. You're powerful. You can set boundaries, right? You have options. Sometimes it really takes that, um, to even either figure out the next right steps on how to get yourself to safety or just give yourself the courage and the, you know, the courage that you need to act in a powerful way, say something in a powerful way, set a powerful boundary.
0: How do you feel as a teacher when you finish
1: one of these courses? I feel really satisfied. Over the last three years, I've done so many Zooms. So it's a lot. It's different. I'm not going to say it's not good, but it's different. So instead of actually seeing people's bodies and all of a sudden seeing women like stand taller and express themselves through really powerful body language. Um, or just to see the smiles on their faces or just sometimes they'll say like, I feel like a badass. Like, I feel like I can do anything right now. I just really learned something new that I never knew before. That is amazing. Now on Zoom, obviously, it's like in the chat. I get to hear those things, but it, it's so it's different. But um, either way, I just feel really satisfied. Gosh, I bet you
0: do. And what really drives you? You know, early yeah. on, you know, as the dojo...
1: Um, You have the book out now, Yeah, but what keeps you going? What keeps me going is this over the years, I've heard so many stories personally, like from people that have either taken my classes or reached out to me on social media, the comments I get on social media of women being used, abused, manipulated, taken advantage of verbally, mentally, emotionally, and even physically abused. And I just get to the point where I'm like, it makes me angry. And I think that anger, um, drives me, which I know is weird, but it really does. It's like, Hey, we deserve better. I'm sorry. Just because we were not men that we shouldn't feel safe in this world. That's complete bullshit. So if I can reach one person or many women to, to remind them that we're powerful too. That's, that's the mission. And the mission just drives me. It drives me to keep going and not be safe and go get a job with health insurance.
0: <laughs> no, I, I think that you're exactly where you're supposed to be. <laughs> on the path, And I am so happy that you spent some time with me today on Served Up. Jen, I mean, you are a powerhouse of, of a woman someone that, um, I now look up to, I just met you an hour ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank Absolutely you. Fascinating. Thank you. I, I'm sorry that, you know, the journey started, you know, on the saddest day in, in, in our lifetime on on nine yeah. eleven. but my goodness, you know, look at what you did from that tragedy to today. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's very inspiring and absolutely incredible.
1: Thank you, Bridget. I appreciate that. And thank you for letting me share.
0: Absolutely. Can you let our listeners know where they can find your book, The Art of Badassery, Unleash Your Mojo with Wisdom
1: of the Dojo? Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And hopefully in some other little retailers near you. But those are the main ones.
0: Well, that's great. I know that I'm going to... pick it up this weekend for sure for your and daughter too for my daughter too i, I keep sending her books we'll yes. so be getting the next care package this is going to be great <laughs> but um, on behalf of the served up family i i want to wish you some great health jen and mm-hmm. a whole lot of peace you know mm-hmm. uh, cheers to you cheers
1: to you thank you is it five o'clock yet <laughs> <laughs> almost thanks for listening Served Up is
0: brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers!